Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest coming to us all the way from Ireland. He's on the west coast of Ireland. I usually talk to people who are on the east coast in the Dublin area. But he, his name is Sean McLeod. It's not a, you're a McLeod, right? How do you pronounce your last name? <coughs> McLeod. McLeod. Oh, McLeod, okay. So it's a McLeod. McLeod in the sky. Yeah. Gotcha. Sean McLeod, the title of his book about the Beatles is Behind the Wall of Illusion, the Religious, Occult, and Esoteric World of the Beatles. So, Mr. McLeod, are you there? I am. I, I'm here, William. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks for uh, taking time to talk about this subject. You've also written a couple other books about um, music as well. One's titled Leaders of the Pack, Girl Groups from the 1960s and Their Influence on Popular Culture. That's published out, out of Roman Littlefield. Uh, from 2015, and then last year, Phil Spector, The Sound of the 60s, 2017. But tonight mm-hmm. we're going to talk about the Beatles. It's still an important subject. There's a lot of, like his, the title of the book says, a lot of religious, occult, esoteric aspects to possibly the most influential music band in history, you know, uh, a global phenomenon. So uh, just to get started, maybe you can talk a little bit about yourself, your background, Sean, and then, you know, take take the listener to where the Beatles came from in, in Liverpool okay well I, I, I'm actually from from Dublin so you're, you're still interviewing a, an east coast yeah. although we don't we don't use the term east coast and, and west coast here really we it's just Dublin and everywhere else in Ireland because we're just a small little country but um, so I, I, I grew up there more or less um, I think around the age of 11 um, I came across the Beatles, and I think it was about a year or so after Lennon had been shot. And um, anyway, I kind of became a little bit of, a bit obsessed. Even at eleven, I became kind of obsessed with with the group. And all through my teenage years, into my twenties, through college, um, and I think really the Beatles for me, they opened up so many other areas. It wasn't just it, you know, it became kind of a musician. I became very interested in music. Before that, I was like most a lot, a lot of kids, particularly um, at this side of the world. Anyway, you, you um, were sent off to piano lessons and things like that, and it was always kind of classical and very, uh, I guess, slightly rigid. Um, you're learning your scales and you're learning all these kind of things, and um, I didn't really like that. But you know, your parents make you go, and you do that for a couple of years, and I, I think. The Beatles kind of switched me on to just actually want to play music and want to be a musician. And um, but they also got me interested in in literature in a sense um, because the more you re- I read about them, you realised they were kind of quite you know even their own lyrics and their own influences were as, as much literary as they were musical. Um, so I got quite interested in literature, and that led me into philosophy. And then I studied English and philosophy at university, and uh, and also I studied music as well. And uh, I had a number of groups growing up. Um, kind of became a songwriter and did a lot of playing in bands and recording music and doing kind of uh, running recording studios, that kind of thing. But at the same time still continuing this interest I had with uh, 60s pop culture and pop culture in general, but also philosophy, literature and everything. So that's where the book kind of comes, has grown out of all of that. Um, gotcha. Uh, gotcha. And so so this, yeah. this is your third book. And yeah. I mean, I think you, you wrote in your intro, the book is an attempt to explore the spiritual noumenon, like this philosophical term be, behind the Beatles. What gave mm-hmm. rise to them? What their influence was? But I mean, they came out of Liverpool, which I think you wrote was the second hardest hit city by uh, the Luftwaffe bombing raids. So I think they kind of came out of this 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 uh, war torn wreckage of a city. Would you describe that as that? Um, yeah. Well, I guess as I as I kind of started to get um, as I got older and more interested in. Um, in certain aspects of philosophy and and um, esotericism, spirit, uh, I guess I don't want to call it spiritualism because it's the same, but into interested in things of a non uh, of a super sensible nature, 
and that led me to a, a chap called Rudolf Steiner, who I'm, I'm not sure how many of your listeners would be aware of Rudolf Steiner, um, but an incredibly important individual, I, th- I think, for the 20th, 20th and 21st century. Um, I mean, the guy gave 6,000 lectures on every conceivable subject from beekeeping to music to architecture to farming to education. We have the Steiner education schools, things like that. But, it, but um, and also a, a view of history and how we might view history and look at various different people and where they stand in history and how that affects things. And, um, you know, I, I kind of... I kind of, I kind of realised through through that that I think pretty much most things we we think about and are are being told about in a way are actually kind of the opposite and um, so I I wanted to really look at where I was coming from in terms of growing up in the eighties and nineties and you know the 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 culture that we had which is pretty much Anglo American here in Ireland. Uh, what that kind of grew out of, and I suppose it, I, for me, it kind of grew out of World War Two. So, the Beatles, yeah, pretty much are are the result of, um, you know, young people being born out of that that uh, chaos. I, I think really they have and, the Steiner um, schools. The Steiner schools here in the states are are referenced as Waldorf schools. Does that sound right? That, that, that's right. Like yeah, I have Waldorf. a couple of friends actually who taught at one of the Waldorf schools, but uh, yeah. Yeah, so Liverpool, post-war, um, and you know Elvis is, is an influence on the Beatles, and, and they dressed in, and they kind of had a uh, what's a teddy boy? A lot of the American audience wouldn't know what that term represents. Um, I, I guess what you might know the term greaser or something. Yes, the famous film of the Outsiders, where the, the greasers and the sauce, the sauces. Um, um, so a teddy boy is pretty much, in a sense. They're kind of a greaser, somebody who was very much, um, you know, influenced by that culture of American rock and roll, in a sense, um, Blackboard Jungle, that kind of rebelliousness. But it's a kind of an interesting phenomenon because it has this mixture of work. It's a working class, um, it's born in a kind of working class um, roots, in a sense, and they the Teddy Boys kind of felt a little bit disenfranchised being part of a working class group after the war that were kind of this huge austerity on them. Um, and they looked back to a time in England uh, or in Britain where it was a little bit more uh, dapper, a little bit more wealthy, and that was the Edwardian period. So they kind of they took on that 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 um, dress really of with these long coats, uh, these bottle creeper shoes they're called with very thick soles, the hair then combed back in that kind of Elvis or Tony Curtis style, and usually that kind of like choker, bottle neck choker or whatever they they wear, which you'd see maybe in the southern states of America maybe that comes from there. Um, not that was what a teddy boy was, but they were kind of a, they were kind of aggressive. In their attitude towards, um, you know, non people who were not of their kind of group or of their class, um, and, yeah. th- and that kind of got a little bit coloured actually in the seventies when there was a revival of that, and people like Malcolm McLaren, uh, who the manager of the Sex Pistols, kind of took on that Teddy Boys look. So if you look at some Sex Pistols stuff, which maybe your your viewers are familiar with, that that. Sometimes Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious wear those kind of long draped jackets, and, and right. then, so there's a kind of a teddy boy look, but it's slightly distorted. And that was, um, I mean, they, the the Beatles were all working class, so they identified with this kind of group a little bit. Would you agree with that? With the teddy boys, yeah. Well, yeah. they would have wanted to be teddy boys in the sense of it was a kind of it, you know it 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 was a it was an identity, I guess. It was the first kind of identity that that you know, very specific youth identity that grew out of the post-war austerity period. So around 1955-56, and maybe just at a time when things were kind of beginning to improve for 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 Britain uh, and Europe in a way. Um, and um, I think, yeah, definitely someone like Lennon, who maybe as a teenager 
had a lot to prove, saw himself as, and I think really much because if he um, took on that demeanour, you know, very hard, tough guy demeanour that the Teddy Boy had, and it was, had a violence attached to it or associated with it, uh, you know, Lennon had to kind of, as a teenager, prove that he had some kind of, um, you know, he was somebody not to be messed with, even though he said himself that he was really shaken inside, or, <laughs> you know, but he had to put on this strong exterior. And I guess the other the other Beatles kind of, you know, went along with the being kids at the time and the association with rock and roll. They yeah. became teddy boys in a sense as well. So early early photographs you'd see of the Beatles where they have their hair before they they got the hair down and it was all combed back in a teddy boy teddy boy, boy style, style, right? Yeah. So they had yeah. that leather teddy boy thing, but they also kind of came out of this something that was different that it didn't happen in the states. The skiffle music. And the Mercy sound. What what was Skiffle? The Mercy sound. The Mercy. Yeah, well, actually, actually, yeah, the Teddy Boys. First of all, they didn't wear leather. That that was another group then that came in called the 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 Ton Up Boys or the Ton Up Boys, which was a, a kind of a, another version of the rock and roll, um, you know, rebel thing. And they wore leather, so they they looked like like Marlon Brando out of the Wild One or um, Gene Vincent, and and the the Beatles. The, the, before they were the Beatles, the Quarrymen or whatever manifestation they took at that stage would have worn leather, uh, so they would have moved slightly away from the, the kind of teddy boy dress, and they wore the kind of the Gene Vincent that kind of leather look. But the teddy boys, it was about a suit. It was suits, and suits actually the, the real teddy boys um, you often see this kind of multicoloured teddy boy nowadays. You'd often see that picture if someone was to Google what a teddy boy looked like, this multicolored, like, bright blue jackets or pink and blue white shoes and that kind of thing. Whereas the actual original teddy boy, it was very much black and white, very, um, quite sophisticated look. And um, there's actually, like, a, a culture now today in Britain um, that, that now goes back, you know, this kind of regressive, um, looking back to the 50s. And they really take on this original look of the teddy boy um, anyway, the, yeah, the, the Beatles took on this kind of more leather-clad um, rocker kind of look, I suppose. So, right when they, that was their, those were their German days. Hamburg, I think they were into that kind of. Yeah. Look, yeah. So when they went to Germany, they kind of had that more slightly that look. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so, what was? Can you define what skiffle is kind of like? Uh, oh, skiffle, a simple yeah. type of music that influenced them, right? And Jimmy Page, well, too. Jimmy Page was a skiffle player. Yeah, well, I think suddenly, what you know, when Elvis hit, like anywhere, I guess, you know, it was a huge thing for... for I, I can only imagine it was like, you know... Uh, look, if you, you know, if you look at pictures of Elvis when he, in, in 56, I think it, the... You know, you can still see that, that energy of this, this kid, basically. It's like he fell from outer space, you know, Um I personally, particularly, think around that time in America, um, people may disagree with me, but I think for the for the youth culture, you you know Elvis and Brando, and uh, probably Dean as well, but they just had this kind of something totally new that no one had ever seen before, um, and I think Elvis really dislike, you know, just. If, it just comes at you, you know, and um, I think you, you wrote, yeah, you wrote that Elvis was the Beatles' messiah, like that's the way they viewed them. Well, yeah, well, McCartney said, he, you know, he saw a picture of him, he said, this is it, the messiah has arrived. So that's very interesting. I mean, that's what I was trying to look at in those early chapters about rock and roll. It was like the youth of the day had decided, you know, in the mid-50s, had decided that the, the religions that they had grown up with, mainly Protestant, Catholic, that's the kind of uh, background Liverpool was. But that kind of conventional, traditional religion, you know, they had decided, well, if that's going to get us into world wars and get us blown up and that kind of thing, well, who needs it? And, you know, I think the youth, it was like they were kind of waiting for something. That's the impression you get, you know, that they were waiting, something was going to happen and they knew it. And when Elvis came, they kind of knew, right, this is it, he's here. And you can only imagine seeing a picture as a 15-year-old of somebody who looked like that. It, it, I, I don't think we can even imagine what it was like unless 
because we're so we've got so much stuff now today, you know, that back then when they had nothing, you know, made, and particularly in England, they probably didn't even have TVs. Yeah, I mean, TVs only came in in '56 when the the Queen was coronated. Was coronated, but. If you can imagine the scene, something like that, it, it just could, uh, you know, it'd be like someone coming down from outer space, I can only imagine. And that effect that it must have had on a 15-year-old, you know? Right. And, uh, I mean, they didn't, have, they didn't have music stores, they didn't have guitars, they didn't, they didn't really anything, you know? They were very... Britain, unless you were, work, unless you were upper class, and, and then they weren't interested in those things. They had their own traditions, and it would be like going to classical music concerts and going to the theatre and playing polo and things. So working class kids didn't really have much, I don't think. They they had a radio and they had the street outside their door to kick a football around in. So when this guy came along, Elvis, you know, they all rushed out and bought these tried to get guitars and there was the famous like ads in, in the back of magazines, you know, our play like Elvis, our oh, our guitars guaranteed not to crack, you know, these cheap guitars that they could buy. But I think Elvis at the same time and the rock and roll heroes that came with like Buddy Holly Little Richard, you know these kind of nearly semi-religious figures for the teenagers of the 50s, uh, along with Brando and, and Dean and, and, and the cinema was like a church for these guys, you know, right. it was like you know, they had nothing else, they just really had nothing. it's only 50 years ago or so so, well, 70 years ago maybe, it was 60, 60 70 years ago so the, these guys had nothing, and suddenly these, this, these figures started to appear. Little Richard, Chuck Berry, Elvis. It, you know, I must have been just amazing for a kid at that stage. Um, but Skiffle, it, it was quite threatening, I think, for, the, for, the, for the, the young English boys, you know. And So when Skiffle came, it was uh, an English guy called Lonnie Donegan, who, if you looked at him now, you just think, who's this guy? You know, he just looks like... You know, um, your your granddad or something, but um, he had a success. He, he had a, a, a big hit um, with a song called "Rock Rock Island Line." The title, and um, that was a big hit. It was just the kind of real, like um, you know, a, a very energetic song, and the way Donegan sings it and performs it um, was kind of full of this energy. So, I, and it was just basically skiffle is. You've got an acoustic guitar. You've got one of these. You've got a, a you know, it's a bit like what they call bluegrass or something. It was a mixture of all these things. So it actually came mostly from America, and it was just a mixture of this, maybe some kind of English musical they call it, and just a mishmash of stuff uh, with a little bit of kind of rock and roll in there as well. Yeah. And the kids just felt, well, we can play that. We rock and roll is kind of too, too daring and exciting, too too musical in a way. So, you know, they got their, these, you know, the tea chests with the broomstick and they put a string on it and that was their bass guitar and they got maybe a washboard. Very much like the bluegrass thing. Whatever they could find, pots and pans. Right, interesting. So, so that's what they played and that was a bit kind of homemade, um, homemade instruments and they just, you know, shake, rattle and roll basically. Just make a sound and and just to kind of, the, the just... The enjoyment to do that, and and loads of skiffle groups just suddenly appeared everywhere. And the Beatles' first band, the Quarrymen, was basically a, a skiffle band. And, and basically, if you look at those very early pictures of Lennon uh, and the Quarrymen, they look like it again, quite new looking for the Brit for Britain at the time, but a very American. You know, I mean, Lennon looks like he's just stepped out of uh, at fifteen, some kind of you know American. Scene. Right, his hair is all greased up. Yeah, That's really yeah, and he has just a Kinchek shirt on, rolled up to at the sleeve, uh, to the to the arms, and it's a very American. Yeah, I think. Yeah, but but they really it. kind of de defined or developed their style in Germany. Even their look, that you like you wrote. What I didn't know was that their haircut, you know, became known as the Beatles cut. But they actually got that from an art, kind of an art uh, society in in Hamburg. Is that right? Yeah, actually, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, because uh, you're saying you didn't know there, so I'm, I'm thinking, oh, God, yeah, I mean, because uh, I know this is, this is all stuff I've known since I was a kid, so I always kind of think, you know, you think, oh, everybody knows this, but yeah, they went to Germany because in Liverpool there was quite so many bands and there was, like, a lot of, um, 
you know, people who maybe try to, like managers and agents who try to cash in on that. And they would have places like, mainly in Germany, and you still have them today, for example, in Spain and these holiday resorts where bands get taken over from Ireland or England and they go and play in these places and they can make quite good money because for a season, you know, the summer and they meet lots of girls and, you know, they just get involved in the party atmosphere that's around there. But, uh, yeah, this particularly, these agents had had these um, clubs in Germany, in Hamburg, and the Beatles, who weren't particularly liked by any of the other musicians in, in, in Liverpool, I don't think they were particularly thought of to be particularly good. Um, and if, you, if anyone wants to really witness how bad the Beatles were, actually, I think that Beatles Anthology Volume 1 is really gives a sense of, my God, these, these guys are just not really good at all. Wow. And how they flowered is really is very interesting. But they took, they went over to, to, to Germany, I think more because they were just, they had the personality in, this, in the, they could, they could kind of schmooze their way in or blag their way is an expression we use here. You know, they could just manage to, to talk their way into these things. And they, they came over and they got, I think probably more so, more than the other Liverpool groups, they just had the kind of personality and the character to just get on with with people and, and um, you know, make them laugh and do crazy things. And um, and they just, just really tried to become good. I mean, there's obviously a potential there and it started to flower when they were in Germany. But they met a group of people, these art students um, called the Exes, and they were kind of just taken by this group and they had their hair all down um, they were called exes because they were into kind of existentialist philosophy and art right. and uh, E-X-I-S. they wore it, yeah, EXIS EXIS yeah and they wore these polar neck shirts and leather jackets and I think for some reason and I probably again uh, the, the intuitiveness I think of definitely of Lennon and McCartney to realise that there was something about their their look, and they changed their the teddy boy look or the, the rocker look or whatever. Um, kind of realizing, suppose that they, you know, intuitively that something was changing, and this was it. This was part of that change because when they when they got their hair down like that, the mop top beetle cut, they George Harrison kind of disowned the two guys for a short while. He said, "I'm not, you know, I'm not going to lose my my." Right. Your my, greaser, rollback, yeah. yeah, yeah, and so that that was the beginning of it, and that is quite an interesting period as well, I think, William, because if you could only imagine, I mean, that's around nineteen fifty-eight, nine, that they're in Hamburg. Um, I think maybe sixty is up sixty. It's around that time, and um, but only fifteen years before that, you know, Germany and and Britain were. Bombing the head right, of right, each other, right. and I mean Germany. Let's not, you know, forget that Germany was as badly bombed as uh, anywhere in Britain. I mean, they were really, they got really got hammered by the British. Um, so <clears throat> you just had this suddenly, you know, people who were sworn two sworn enemies, really, and and not only that, they had been all, already in a in a war, world war you know, what, 30 years before the Second World War. So they suddenly had these kids, this next generation, you know, wearing, changing, exchanging clothes oh, and haircuts and fashion and listening to each other's music and talking about art and literature and stuff. So personally, I think that was a really important thing to happen. Well, I would agree with you. I think that probably laid the seeds for the 60s because they realized they didn't want to go back to war. They were in Germany... They had seen the damage and the feud, you know, the feud. They weren't not wanting to return that. And actually, the Beatles lost one of their members and stayed in uh, Germany, Stuart Sutcliffe, right? So he ended up marrying the girl who influenced their haircut. Yeah, that's right. And then he sadly died um, just shortly after they, they got married, I think. Yeah. And he, got, he got in a fight or something and had an aneurysm. 
Um, uh, well, they, there's a lot of question marks over that, all right. Yeah, some people claim that Lennon actually beat him up, and that's why he got the brain hemorrhage. Um, others, that they got into a fight. Others, that um, he just uh, didn't really take care of himself. He used to stay up all night painting. He was a, a very very good artist, and I've seen some of his work. Um, and it's it's begun, begun to have... Like a life of its own outside of that association with the Beatles, I think people, sure. a lot of people are recognising the real talent that was there. But uh, you know, and then he'd be playing, was playing in band with the Beatles at night, and then painting, and then they were taking a lot of amphetamine or fe- substitutes, I think, preluding, which they would take to keep them going for hours because they'd have to play for eight or nine hours, I think, um, in these clubs. You know, very, very long stretches um, wow. into the middle of the night. So he was doing that, and then he was painting. And So whether he got beaten up or didn't get beaten up, there just seems to be lots of different stories around that, whether Lennon in a fit hit him. This is one of the, the stories. Um, actually, Sutcliffe's sister claims that Lennon beat him up, and that's why he died. Um, others say that never happened, and so... It's I, I I don't know exactly, and that's another interesting, whole interesting, connection, you know, yeah. thing, aspect. But I don't I don't know the definite thing. But he died anyway of a brain brain aneurysm. No. Yeah, I think they called it. Yeah, and I I think also William he didn't the doctor knew it was there and they gave him advice on look you need to you need to have a, a more stable lifestyle and he didn't really take the advice. That's another story, and then so it just got worse. So gotcha. Um, yeah. So that was kind of the, the the beginnings of the Beatles. When did they really kind of turn from a small band playing, you know, band playing in Hamburg into this huge Beatlemania? How did that happen? Yeah, well, I guess I, I just want, wanted to kind of say there first, William, is like you know the the, the whole point of the book, the religious, esoteric, and occult um, world of the Beatles is the, the first two chapters that we've just kind of looked at there. What I'm really trying to ex- explore in those is that that kind of the re- the religious fanaticism in a, in a inverted commas, um, you know that very very strong um, feeling belief or something that rock and roll seemed to give to these young people and people like Elvis uh, and others, but particularly Elvis as a kind of a, a messianic figure for them and. Um, and even now, when we talk about Sutcliffe there, in a more in, in a deeper sense, it's quite possible um, because he seems to kind of still follow them through their career. He's there's you can feel the influence of his deaths. I think at times you can feel it, um, the presence there, even in those early photographs, because Sutcliffe was actually the first to take on that look. He was the first. His Astrid cut his hair like that, and eventually. Lennon and McCartney followed, gotcha. and he appears on the Sgt. Pepper's album. So, in some kind of strange way, I mean, it, it's a little bit like, for another proper cultural reference, you know, when Ben Kenobi in Star Wars decides consciously to give his life up, and then he follows Luke, in a sense, in some kind of, you know, Spiritual. non-physical world. He's there with him. And I, I often get that feeling that, you know, I don't think Stuart Sutcliffe consciously did that, but Somehow there is that. There seems to be a feeling of that there. With, but didn't Lennon say that that he Sutcliffe was with him, or he remembered Sutcliffe all the time? I yeah, so. there's that feeling always yeah, that he's right. still there, yeah. and like, and the same I think with Lennon's mother who had died earlier that that year before Sutcliffe, and even even McCartney's mother who died when he was twelve. Again, you always at times get the feeling. That there, that those people are still present there somehow, and maybe that is something that I mean, people do feel when they've lost people that they they're still there with them, or they've gone through a difficult time, and they say, "Well, I felt you know that person, that my my mother who passed on, or my sister or brother or something right. was there helping me through it." And so sometimes maybe this this is a necessary thing, you know, that maybe there's a, an element of someone sacrifices themselves here to be of value on the other side of the the veil or the threshold. I'm not saying yeah, that's, that's true. That's basically saying, Christian uh, theology, right? I mean, Christ died, sacrifice. 
Yeah, that like would it. be very similar. Yeah, that would be, and that that would very much be again this aspect of Rudolf Steiner's philosophy that you know we don't we don't it's not. There's no better feeling than getting a great deal, like a hotel room upgrade or a free car wash with every tank of gas. Maybe unlimited chips and salsa with your burrito. And now, as an AT&T Wireless customer, you can get an exclusive deal on a super-fast internet experience with AT&T Fiber. Get consistently fast speed, even during peak times, and a great deal with AT&T Fiber. Learn more at att.com slash fiber offer. Limited availability in select areas. Based on wired connection to gateway, restrictions apply. This is Eric Leonard, investigating every big news event on the streets for over 20 years. Hands down, one of the most connected reporters in L.A., getting the story behind the story. The NBC4 I-Team, dedicated to working for you. Eric Leonard gets back a family's stolen treasure, ripped away by a thief, then held by a pawn shop until our investigative team stepped in, helping victims get justice. The NBC4 I-Team, dedicated to working for you finished here we, we we pass over and we we still have an influence in this world and you know, so lots of things like that so yeah so he had a reincarnate uh, reincarnation was was steiner's views consistent with uh general christian views or was was he more of a eastern that's interesting too because we're going to get into the beatles and their influence from the east mm. where did steiner get his ideas well um well, do, do you want to go back and talk about the Beatlemania thing? Yeah, first, let's do it. Just we don't have to talk about Steiner. That's a, that's a secondary thing. I think we should talk about Beatlemania. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, yeah, again, so again, from the point of view of the religion, I think when the Beatles suddenly became this huge phenomena, which they did first in England, um, and some people say, well, you know, it was a, they were used as a distraction. There was a number of events going on politically in England at the time. One was the Profumo scandal, where where um, a British member of Parliament, um, Christine Keeler, did, did, yeah, Christine Keeler, he was the Minister for Defence. He was with this seemingly with a call girl called Christine Keeler, who was associated with some quite quite dark, let's yeah, dark figures in a way. Um, Stephen Ward being one of them. Um, a, Ward was a black magic practitioner. It seems to be something like that, yeah. That seems to be the case. Um, and um, so this, uh, and then she was also involved with the with the Russian um, diplomat, right? And so this whole thing came out, and you know, this idea of a minister for defense with a call girl who's got an association with a Russian diplomat um, does not good. Um, caused a scandal in Parliament. And the, the real scandal was actually because he had lied about his association with Keeler, and then it turned out that he said he, he, he didn't know her, and then it turned out he did, he said he lied, and that was like, <gasps> you know, right. our politicians are lying to us, and etc., etc. So this whole scandal happened, The lots of stuff came out, uh, people ended up committing suicide, and it was very dark, a bit like the Kennedy thing in America. Yeah. Um and I think some people claim they just looked at something. They went, "Oh, here's something that we can just distract everybody with," and that was the kind of Beatles were beginning to have some kind of popularity. I don't buy that really. I think the Beatles were a kind of a phenomenon that were destined to, to happen. But these other events needed to happen too in order for the whole thing. You know, nothing happens right. in isolation. Right. And um, so that was the first thing in England, I think, and it spread across Europe. Um, uh, uh, why really I mean there's loads of bands in England in Liverpool but you know um, there's some kind of really good documentaries about that scene at the time and you can see all these bands playing really excellent bands why the Beatles suddenly were the ones that were were um, I mean most of those went to Liverpool to Hamburg as well so they went through the same you know um, how might you say kind of processes to develop the mm -hmm. same development but I think the Beatles did seem to have just some edge for some reason. And I think even, strangely, just the way they looked on stage, when you looked at them, Lennon and, and McCartney being McCartney being left-handed, Lennon being right-handed, and Harrison being right-handed, they created, a, just when you look at them, this kind of symmetrical 
thing, you know, that the other bands didn't have, and they didn't seem to have that same uh, harm, harmonies that, that Lennon and McCartney would have, you know, the sweet with the rough, and they they just seemed to have something a little bit more, I think, maybe than the others. Um, and also, I think, possibly, it was just kind of their destiny. They had the personality types as well. And I think in Hamburg as well, like Ringo Starr joined pretty much them, not as a full-time member, but that's where they got to know him and he would play with the, in the group. And I think they felt his personality suited more than the, the drummer they had, Pete Best, who was then you know, removed from them and Ringo came in and suddenly this whole unit just was created. And um, so by the time we got to America, Beatlemania had just, again, you know, you did kind of the Kennedy the situation with the death of Kennedy or the assassination of Kennedy, which maybe left a hole in the psyche of the American people for the time and they needed something to fill it and here with these kind of, you know, strange-looking guys from England shaking their heads and singing these kind of, you know, um, not too unusual. I mean, they were basically copying American rock and roll, but they had a slight, I suppose, the English, there was a slight Englishness to them and their accents and all this. And why it just took off into Beatlemania, but again, I think it's probably the use of the, the time just needed something to maybe a sense of hope, maybe a sense of, you know, resurgence or, you know, um, regeneration and, and that, that came with the, with, the, with the Beatles. And because of that, they were seen nearly as, I think, kind of saviors for, for the young people in America who maybe had lost hope, I think, when Kennedy was, was, was assassinated. Right. I think that the Kennedy died November 22nd, 63, and you said Beatlemania started in October, so it was right there literally overlapping with the murder of Kennedy. Yeah, and actually I think someone pointed out, um, which I mentioned in that book, um, that they're, they're with the Beatles album, the second album, which was basically the start of the Beatlemania in Britain, was released the same day Kennedy was assassinated. Oh, wow, that's interesting. And that, that's just very, yeah, that's a, an interesting... Um, well, that, that's an interesting phenomenon, because Kennedy died on that day, Huxley died on that day, C.S. Lewis died on that day, and, out, and now the Beatles dropped their second yeah. album on that day. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So you you seem quite familiar there. I mean, I, I listened to some of your interviews earlier, um, William, with, on the, the Crowley thing and uh -huh, yeah. things like that. So you, you've kind of got a, quite a good background in that whole area as well. I mean, his influence, uh, my book, Children of the Beast, covers his influence on so many musicians, Jimmy Page, Jim Morrison, a little bit of the mm -hmm. Beatles, you know, the, the you talked about the semaphores, them making those magical signs that go back to, I think it's the grades within the Golden Dawn system. So, you know, the Beatles yeah. had stuff, but there were certain things they said that they were magic. I, I have to go back and look at the original writings because they, that one statement that you had where they say something... Those particular molecules formed to make these four guys, the Beatles, I have to think there was something metaphysical, something alchemic, something that must be thought of as magic, because when I read that, it was magic with a K, which is Crowley's style, you know, magic. Yeah. Um, but I included that quote in my book, too. So, you know, I was, I was familiar with some of the stuff. I learned a lot from your book, that's for sure. I didn't know how much of the Leary... There were two songs that the Beatles were influenced by Timothy Leary, who thought he was actually living Crowley's life, he thought that his ideas and his outlook were uh, some type of spiritual resurgence. And there's a famous quote from Leary where he says, you know, Crowley, I'm, I'm here carrying on Crowley's work. I wish he was here in the 60s to see this day. So you have to see, I think you wrote that excellent chapter four, the Dionysian, you know, Apollonian duality, the Dionysian aspects of the Beatles and how I think that you're right, that that was the resurgence of this ideal that goes all the way back to ancient Greece. Mm. I mean, because you can see, I mean, you wrote about it in your book, that these people are going crazy, women are going crazy. They literally would have tore, tore the Beatles to shreds if they could get their hands on them. I mean, all kinds of very, um, you know, deranged <laughs> people. I mean, and the men would like the Beatles too, right? So... I think yeah. That, so, yeah, I mean, it's an really an important 
aspect. But there, I mean, what was also interesting about the Beatles too, maybe you can talk about this, how, how these books that Lennon was writing and how he got in trouble saying they were bigger than Christ, but this book that he wrote or read about, uh, what was the name of it? About that, the you know the I can't remember the title of it, but the Bible, the Passover, the yeah, Passover, Passover book, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, just to, on the Dionysian thing, I think you know Nietzsche talks about this in the Birth of Tragedy, Frederick Nietzsche, the German philosopher, and um, and I think I don't I don't think it's necessary. You know, the, the Greeks had it manifested in the Apollinean Dionysian. The, one is the duality or the, dialectic yeah the duality the, of the human being really you know the, the psyche one a very the Apollinean from the god Apollo connected to the sun um, and this is kind of awake consciousness we, we're, we're awake and we need to control these forces that are subconscious and um, that that's obviously very important because if we didn't have that we would be just out of control but I think Nietzsche's point is, if that that, that became dominant in modern Western culture, um, and and that leads into things like what we call a very logocentric view of the world, and logos there we could uh, connect to Christ, but I think also to the idea of the word, the written word, right. um, and logic, um, and when you know we see it in in schools, for example, kids are just left, you know, it's reading and writing. And they're sitting in the school in the chair all day long, uh, going crazy because uh, it's only one aspect of the human being. And if that dominates, we become kind of stale, bored. We lose our imagination. We become frustrated. Um, the word, written word, which becomes set in stone, you know, becomes all powerful. Whereas in reality, things change all the time. So, you know, so <clears throat> what Nietzsche is trying to say is we need to release this. As well, we need the Dionysian because um, we need that part of ourselves. And so, when I think this youth after the war, you know, this this subconscious element started to really manifest itself because without it, you do end up with just you end up going crazy, you know, just right. blowing each other up because there's nowhere for this energy to go. Um, and I think the Beatles, in a way, brought that out of they allowed people to do that um yeah and they also allowed the, the whole thing with Dionysus was it was people who were from outside were able to be taken were were, were accepted in the, in the society it was a, it was kind of a, a Dionysian festival that the Greeks would have where these what they call the mad women the main ads would go crazy and they would tear the god apart and they would drink wine and they would dance and and um, and then the the people in that festival would would come out of it regenerated. They would go through some kind of process where they where they would suddenly kind of know themselves better. And I think that seemed to happen when you read reports of, particularly I think in America, of young girls feeling that their lives in America were boring. They didn't know what they were, you know, didn't. didn't it was just dull suburbia, which which the war, the post-war had brought mainly to America, I think, because you suddenly had, like, after the, you know, when all that energy was gone into making weapons, it was suddenly now gone into making cars and washing machines and dishwashers and TVs. Consumerism, and, yeah. yeah. And that created consumerism, and then you had, like, you know, suburbs where houses were built, and that obviously created healthy economy and in, in, in that sense was good, but you know, supermarkets and blah, blah, blah. And, right. and there obviously seemed to be a reaction to that where you get with the beat poets and, you know, the the, um, the road movie and just the, like, I want to escape this. Right. You know, and, and you know, the, the America can always that land of adventure and the Wild West and new frontiers. That was kind of gone. It was just, well, this is it now. You're just stuck out in the middle of nowhere and you've got a big shopping mall and you've got your car to drive in and it'll work and, so you can imagine kids were just going, well, I'm just bored, and suddenly again, these these people from England came over with their funny look and their slightly strange sound and their dress and their you know the way they dressed and this European and English coming over and they the energy the amplification of the instruments etc. And kids could just suddenly and the kids had the liberty to now go wild because 
the parents gave it to them because the parents had gone through war, right. you know, right. and, and well, let the kids live, you know, we went right. through a war, so let's enjoy our lives over here, and also the threat of that, that bomb hanging over everybody, right. so they're just like, well, let's go, let's just live it up now, it up, so, man. yeah, so I think that they allowed that, all those forces to come out. Um, that led to a lot of things. It might not have been good in some ways, but it de it did lead to, I think, or it definitely helped things like feminist movement, the civil rights movement, um, people becoming more aware of who they were and that kind of thing. So it was a real liberation and a real kind of rebirth in, in some ways, I think. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that 60s were really something else, and the Beatles... You know, I, whether they caused or whether they rode that unconscious, subconscious thing, I think it's kind of like a double helix, you know, they kind of worked yeah. together. So, but it's interesting because yeah. Lennon, you know, he always thought that there was like cosmic influences and things coming to the, to him from elsewhere, right? I mean, how did these, did he say, I mean, what did he say? I, the lyric, music and lyrics channeled through them contain magic and messages from beyond the mind, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, they, he said a lot of things, but I think always, um, I, I think what's interesting about them is, like most people, you know, living in a kind of what um, some philosophers might call, you know, the naive consciousness. They just think, well, this is everything that it is. I get up, I go to school, and then I go to get a job, and then I get my house, and I get married, and I have kids, and and you know, the idea of being financially secure. If I if I if I get lots of money. Uh, I'll be happy, and I think these, you know, it started like that with the Beatles. It's kind of like, right, if we get rich and we get famous, then we'll be happy, and then they get rich and famous, and they beyond what most people could imagine, you know, and what they were able to actually cope with. And I think pretty much within a year, uh, I get the impression within a year, definitely Harrison and Lennon were going. This is. You know, I've had enough of this. It's just crazy. I can't leave. I'm trapped in it. I can't leave. My, I can't leave the the hotel. I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. People are pulling at me. People think I have some kind of answers to their problems. Um, and if anybody's if anybody's ever kind of um, had situations where they, you know, are dealing with people's problems, you know, after two or three people telling you all their problems and wanting you to fix it and not actually quite knowing what their problems are, but wanting you to fix it. And it I mean, because I've had it myself, um, very, very, various different th things. Um, it just is so, you just go, I, I can't, I'm only a guy who can just right. barely get through the day myself. I can't fix your problem. So I, I can only imagine somebody like Lennon, McCartney, who were considered to be, Oh, that song! That just—you you must know everything. You must have the answers for me, and you must be able to fix everything for me. And you've got everything that I want, so I want to be part of you. You know, I can just imagine it. Just must have really just sent them crazy because how can you? How you can know, you, you know, it's like if you've got one of those friends, you keep ringing you up on the phone all the time, going, "Oh, something such happened," or my girl, this girl, I had a fight with my girlfriend again. You've heard the story for the. 50th time, you're thinking, what can I do? I can't, I can't listen to the story anymore. And I, I can't help you because it's your problem, it's your problem. to solve. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't mean that in the kind of, you know, it's your problem, so leave me alone. But you, you can't solve someone else's problems. They have to solve it for themselves. So that must have just gotten really draining. Not being able, able to go down the street must have gotten really draining. It, you know, suddenly they realise, hang on a sec, what I thought I wanted is actually not what I wanted. But then they're stuck in that because they go, well, what else can I do? You know, right, right. and and possibly all the benefits that actually do come with that, it's, it's very hard to let go of. So you kind of now have an, a slight addiction. You slight, you have an insecurity. You're also, you know, in a sense, you've got other people who are dependent on you to be in the group. Um, you've got other people who are dependent on their livelihood because you're in it. Right. I mean, Elvis, I think really felt this because at the last days of his life, you know, when he's overweight, he's on all sorts of drugs, he can hardly stand. And he still has to go and do these Vegas shows because so many people, if he's not there, they're, they're, 
they've lost their jobs, they, they can't provide for their families. Right. So that, that burden of responsibility, I mean, we, we talked about Christ earlier, and I think people don't really understand, um, my, from my perspective, so that burden that, that that being carries, you know, I mean, it's just so immense. Um, so someone like a person who's just a normal person, Lennon, McCartney or Elberson, they can't really carry it. They can't carry it. It's too it's too much. And people think they can because they think this is our, our religion, our way. And so I think they went from that to going into, well, there has to be something else. There has to be something beyond what we thought was. Because the human spirit is always moving forward. It's always trying to. It always thinks, you know, it gets to the top of the mountain and then it goes, oh, there's another mountain over there. It, it keeps striving. It doesn't stop. It just it, it just can't, can it, you know? Um, and that's interesting. Uh, and that's kind of what led them into doing a lot of drugs, LSD and stuff like that, right? I think so, yeah. I think the drugs were, were both a release from from that, you know? I mean, they meet Dylan. You know, definitely alcohol was the first um, a release from that. And, and, I mean, a star became an alcoholic. Ringo Starr became an alcoholic. But later on, but... Um, when they met Dylan and Dylan introduced them to marijuana, I think, you know, they were smoking it all the time because they went, wow, I'm, I, I can have, I can sit in my room and we can, we can just smoke hash and we can just get away from all of this. We can enjoy ourselves. And um, so everywhere they went, they were, I mean, you can see that in their interviews. They, they really look like they're just gone, you know, uh, from about 65, 66. I mean, it's quite funny, but, um, they were just, and by all accounts, interviews and, and, and other, you know, things written about them, they were just stoned all the time. So it must have been a release from that, but anyone who has ever smoked marijuana would possibly know that it opens up some other new way of perceiving the world. Uh, and so this this happened as well, and this, I guess, was fascinating for, for them. And I think and imagine it must have brought them closer together in a sense because of that effect that sometimes it's a bit like oh, drinking with your buddies like right. it brings you closer together for that time doesn't it so yeah, no doubt. I think they became more of a kind of a one mind through that of get even more so than they were before a uh, different perspective on things it's a new it's something just new and then that comes into the music and then that leads into you know suddenly LSD came along and that was even more far out right and then the and, Eastern, and, that, and then you throw in the Eastern mysticism, right? They're, but I think then they realized, you know, mind expansions where it's at. Like, you know, we are more than just people living in this, in what I call the naive realist view of the world. It's not just, you know, <coughs> um, the, you know, a plant is. It's not just a plant. It's all sorts of stuff going on in it. The world we live in is not. You know, things are not just the way we think they are, because anytime we get involved with, you know. You know, you meet a girl and you think, "Oh, right, I've met this girl." But then you realize there's so many other aspects. There's their family, there's their friends, there's right. her job, there's her. Oh, 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 oh. Suddenly you go, "Oh, it's like there's so many other aspects to just one person." Right. That I never, you don't, you don't think of until you're in it, and then you either think, "Well, this is working for me," or like, "No, it's too, I can't deal with their parents or their friends or her." way she is when you know, you know what I mean right. yeah then, uh, definitely 100% yeah so they re I think they suddenly started to realize that you know what we've been told because we're all told that we've all been told that as part of consumer society we're still told today that you know you go out there you work hard you make your money and you'll be you'll be happy and happy. then you realize well it's just a way of keeping you on this kind of treadmill if you're the lucky one that yeah and I think they realized that and I think they went, there's something more than, there has to be. And whether it was the influence of the, the marijuana and the LSD that scrambled their minds a little bit, I think they genuinely realized and believed, and I suppose it's, it's for me a belief too, that there is something more than just the physical material world we live in. And... Um, Sean, we're coming down to the we're coming down to the end of the hour right now. It's we've done fifty three minutes. It's gone fast. Oh God! We've got we have covered all the first. The good news is that we're not going to reveal all the other great stuff in the book. You discuss the death, uh, the supposed death of Fall Paul McCartney. You also discount uh, the Adorno 
influence upon the Beatles that was propounded by Coleman, the Committee of 300. Um, you know, yeah. so there's a lot of other stuff left in the book, which is great because I do recommend people find the book and read it. Again, the title of the book is Behind the Wall of Illusion, the occult, what is it, the, uh, the religious occult and esoteric world of the Beatles. Um, is there anything else that you would like to add before we wrap this hour up? Well, just to so much, you know, but um, there's, I guess there's two things. I mean, I would have really liked to have chatted more a little bit about the, the Crowley thing and things like that, but um, I, I would like to just talk about, yeah, I think this occult aspect of the book, which is, um, you know, uh, where, because the esoteric, really what I'm, I'm talking about are these kind of spiritual forces that played a part, or uh, like I feel played a part, and that's very much, I come from Rudolf Steiner's perspective of, um, you know, this things that happen in the physical world are very much a manifestation of other things that are going on in a, in a non-material or what he often refers to as the super sensible world. Um, but, and that would be something that I really like to talk about, but I just don't have any time, obviously. But the occult part of it is really, I think there was, there's, and you find it a lot on, as you probably know, William, you know, these, um, a, a lot of conspiracy sites and right. channels and things like that, of which I'm hugely interested in. Um, and I think there's a huge amount in that, um, I know I'm right in saying there's your 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 you know view of the 9/11 thing and various other right. things like that. Uh, I will I would be very much aware of and very much you know I'm very feel very much that there is very dark forces. Yes, yeah. behind well, lots of things. My first book was Prophet of Evil. It was about Alistair Crowley's influence on 9/11 and the cult aspects. There's all kinds of yeah. cult things that happened. September, even the numbers and the names, uh, the yeah. dates and everything, and the buildings, just there's there's a very deep occult aspect to 9 11. Yeah, I, and, and I, would, I would agree. And actually, I would recommend um, one person who I, who I mentioned a lot and who's been very helpful to me is a chap called Terry Boardman William, who has a lot of. I, I used to bring, I used to do a lot of talks uh-huh. here in Limerick, people coming over and talking about various things from a slightly alternative perspective. Terry is a historian who has a huge, really, really huge understanding of uh, history, uh, the actual view of history as it's been told today. He really questions that 9-11, Europe today, Brexit, all of these things, these quite negative forces that are behind that. Uh, a, A character who's very interesting here called... Casper Hauser, it would be worth people looking him up. He's Some people think he's a mystical character, but Terry does a really good talk on him. Two films are made about this this character, Casper Hauser. Well, I won't tell you any more about that, but that's I, very interesting. I think the website is threeman.org. That is the website. Threeman.org, yeah, that's Terry's website. But this occult thing with the Beatles, I, I, I would just like to just mention that because I think, I definitely think there was some occult connections there consciously I, I don't think I, I well, as you said I, I, I'm not too convinced with the Adorno and the, the Committee of 300 thing um, either am I, I, I either am I it's hard for him yeah. to believe that a guy who's in California is you know guiding the Beatles I think he was in California in the 50s and 60s well, I do. There's this. There's this. I mean, I, I do think this kind of what they call the Frankfurt School. There does seem to be something that, unfortunately, in in some ways, has a quite a negative impact on on, on, on American. Oh, culture. I agree with that absolutely. Yeah, yeah um, and um, I think what, whether this idea that Adorno wrote all their songs, the Beatles songs, whether I, I just think that's just to. to I don't how could one per, you know the very distinctive personalities I think and they're very clearly come out if anybody's familiar with Beatles music it's very clear that the personality Lennon comes out in his songs in McCartney's and his songs and you know uh, and Harrison in, in his songs I don't think one person could have written all of those things whether but I do what I do think is I think certain black occultists um, became. Maybe maybe allowed for them to become f- famous because 
even though I grew up with rock and roll, I grew up with records, and I grew up with all these things, I I can see they 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 can have a, a negative effect, which I think right. you're seeing more and more today with digital music and people just going around with their headphones on all the time and iPhones and things like that, where they're just locked into their their own world. Right. So that obviously at the start somewhere, um, but I don't think they were overly consciously aware of that, and I I think that thing with Crowley and stuff like that, as I mentioned, like, even though, I think they flirted with that. I think there was a group of people around them in England, an intelligentsia, young people, who, right. who wanted, who, who were more familiar with Crowley and... Well, there's, um, there's a connection between Mark David Chapman and Kenneth Anger. Kenneth Anger actually yeah. knew Chapman in Hawaii and visited him or something like that. So there's, like, right. the guy who wrote Lucifer Rising or made the Lucifer yeah. Rising movie who had people yeah. who... You know, who made the costumes for Lucifer Rising? We're friends with the Beatles, so that 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 network is there. But we're coming to an end. That was Sean McLeod, spelled M-A-C-L-E-O-D. The book is available at the LimerickWriterCenter.com, also available on Smashwords, Kobo, and some other sites. The title again: Behind the Wall of Illusion: The Religious, Occult, Esoteric World of the Beatles. Peacock is streaming your favorite shows, movies, live sports, breaking news, exclusive originals, and every live WWE pay-per-view. It's The Office, Chris Lee Knows Best, and Peacock original shows like Funky Brewster. Peacock, watch for free, upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. This is Peacock. I love it! It's streaming your favorite shows, movies, live sports, breaking news, exclusive originals. It's The Office. That's what she said. Chris Lee Knows Best. It's going to be Todd's Way or the Highway. And Peacock original shows like Punky Brewster. Holy mackinole. So whether you're in the mood for every live WWE pay-per-view or every episode of Law & Order SVU, Peacock's got you covered. Peacock. Watch for free. Upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com.